Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Do you love unraveling a good old-fashioned whodunit? Oh honey, me too. I'm Alicia, armchair detective and host of Dead On, a true crime podcast. Join me every Friday. We'll dive into a case that scratches your itch for true crime, dark history, and mystery. Streaming now, everywhere you love to listen. listeners, and welcome back to an all-new season of the Identity Podcast on the Podmoth Media Network, your bi-weekly foray into the weird, wonky, and sometimes downright spooky. If you're looking for more great podcasts to binge, head on over to podmoth.network. This episode marks the beginning of Season 9, and I honestly can't believe that we've been on this crazy ride together for eight seasons. The podcast has had several incarnations, and if you have stayed with me throughout the run, I hope you're still enjoying the content, and I thank you tremendously. Even if this is your first time listening, thank you so much. You've got a ton of choices when it comes to weird and wonderful podcasts, and I'm so glad to be worthy. I'd also like to let you know that the Identity Podcast is proud to be a brand ambassador for Cotty's Fabulous Footwear. Cotty's started as a question. Why do shoes need to be boring? The answer was, they don't. Shoes can show just as much of your personality as your favorite t-shirt or that kooky hat that you like to wear. You know the one. Not only do shoes not have to be boring, they also have the power to make you happy. Cotty's is committed to creating footwear that is versatile, comfortable, and sustainable, but above all, undeniably fun. Cotties receive the kind of attention that a black boot or a battered trainer can only dream about. Wide grins, a little chuckle, looks of astonishment even. Once you put on a pair of Cotties, you'll be hooked, pun very much intended, on the most fin-teresting footwear styles on Cod's green earth. Cotties is leading the footwear revolution, armed with an arsenal of very bad puns and determination to stand out in a sea of boring, uninspiring footwear. To top it all off, Cotties offers a hassle-free guarantee. If you don't love your Cotties, send them back within 90 days, no questions asked. All orders over $30 ship completely free, and right now you can save 10% off your Cotties order if you use code IDENTITYPOD at checkout. So head on over to Cotties.com, 
Use code IDENTITYPOD, O-D-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y-P-O-D, and step into a pair of ultra-comfortable Cotties today. I'll drop a link in the show notes. This week, I bring you listener stories of the strange and macabre. The spirits walk with us, and the dead speak. Granted, this is the case for some more than others. So sit back and relax, and find your happy place, because you're about to come face-to-face with those who walk beyond the veil. Listen, if you dare. Our first story comes from Jordan. Jordan writes, My parents met in the late 80s, and they were both serving members of the military. Shortly after they met, both my parents were assigned to an Air Force base in Ontario. I was born there, and my brother followed shortly afterwards. Roughly a year after my brother was born, we were transferred to the province of Quebec. We were located in a highly francophone region in Quebec, where my father had been posted to an army base. My parents decided to buy a house in a neighboring town. It wasn't a luxury home, but I enjoyed my time there as a kid. We had a large backyard, which I spent a lot of time in. The history of the house is unknown to my family. From the looks of it, the house didn't appear haunted. It wasn't bent out of shape, it was just a 70s, 80s cookie-cutter house in an ordinary middle-class neighborhood. I suppose this might be a version of what a basic family home would look like in North America. I was three when everything started. We were what I thought to be an average family, happy and in good health. Nobody had any serious issues, the family dynamic was awesome, and my dad was incredibly creative and fun. For the most part, we were good kids. We did well in our early school years, and we weren't too spoiled, especially because we couldn't really afford to be. But my mother did everything that she could to pamper me and my brother. She wanted a good life for us. She'd save her money to ensure that we always had new clothes and new shoes for school. She taught us good manners to treat all people with respect and not judge others. Despite their eventual separation, they remained to be amazing parents. They always did their best to offer us a good life. When we moved to this town, my mother sacrificed her service to follow my father. I believe it was a fluke that they were previously posted to the same base, because in the 1980s, career managers weren't as accommodating to service couples as they are now in Canada. She decided to use this opportunity to raise her children and look after the home until we were old enough to look after ourselves. Once you entered the front door of the house, there was a small square area for removing your boots and hanging your keys. There were two sets of stairs directly in front of you, one to the ground floor and one to the basement. Below and directly to the left, there was a bathroom, and inside the bathroom on the left side, there was a small storage space. The space was large enough to kneel down and walk into, so my dad used the space to develop film, since it was a dark and secluded room. The restroom was on the left. My room was on the right, next to my parents' room. I had a small window in my bedroom on the left side that had a partial view of our large, fenced-in backyard. I couldn't see anything, though, since the window was located high enough on the wall, and I was almost at basement level. Plus, I was just a little guy. I vividly recall many details. My parents purchased my first bed for me when we moved into that house. It was lifted up onto a metal frame and painted bright red like a maraschino cherry. There was also a railing that my parents later took off when I became older. 
I was between the age of three to four years old, but well before kindergarten, before I experienced something so impactful that it would forever be burned into my head until this day. Most nights we probably went to bed around 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. We were familiar with the routine and we followed it. We had a very military style of discipline in my home. Not only were my parents in the military, but so were previous generations of my family, and that culture carried on. We weren't perfect kids, but I'd like to think we were well behaved. One night I awoke in my cherry red bed. I knew it was late because it was dark outside my window, but not so late that my parents were asleep because I could hear them talking upstairs with the TV on. I struggled to fall asleep, so I laid down on my bed looking around the room like any curious child. I was getting uncomfortable, so I turned over to my left side, which would have been facing the door to my bedroom. It was dark enough in the room, but I was in my room long enough for my eyes to be well adapted to the darkness at this stage. The only light I had was the glow of a faint porch light and any ambient light from the moon. I looked around the room and then began to draw my attention to the bedroom door. It had passively piqued my interest because I noticed that the area directly in front of my closed bedroom door was unusually dark. I remember being able to look at the surrounding walls, but not at that specific area for some reason. I kept watching a black mass, and I saw an opaque black figure in the outline of a person standing there. It was probably about eight feet away or so, give or take. I wasn't initially scared. I giggled, thinking it looked like a person, and that some object in my room was obviously creating a shadow. I kept looking at the shadow, but I started to realize that something seemed strange. The shadow itself was not on the wall, it was off the wall, and in the room, standing like a person. No light seemed to come through. It was not transparent, it wasn't translucent. It was a deep black hole. I was still confused, and I didn't put too much thought into it, so I just kept gazing at it. In one moment I was relaxed and intrigued as to what was causing this image in front of me, but in the next I was struck with a paralyzing fear as I started to see the figure move towards me. It wasn't walking like a human, or something I even recognized on the planet at the moment in my life. There were almost no features. There was no face, but I could clearly discern the shape of the body, arms, legs, and so on. It resembled a man. When the shadow approached me, it didn't do so by walking. There were no fluid, human-like limbs moving around in a human-like or even Earth-like fashion. The shadow would vanish, then reappear a step or two closer in a moment, as fast as a shutter can trigger on a camera. I didn't stop looking. I couldn't shout. I trembled and cried, and I had my blanket set against my eyes, but I kept watching as if it were a film. It continued to move itself towards me until it stood right over me by my nightstand. I was petrified. I threw the blankets over my head and buried my face as deeply into the pillows as I could, without suffocating. It never left. My eyes were closed, but it made no difference. Three of these shadows were penetrating their way into my mind even though my eyes were sealed shut. The shadows were continuously morphing into vivid and horrifying faces and shapes. I could see them in my head, and they were as clear as day. It was almost like they were telling me, you can't hide from us. I felt them taking great pleasure in my fear, 
It was very dark and sinister, and I couldn't get the figures to leave. I felt trapped like a deer surrounded by wolves. I could no longer bear it, as I knew I had no place to hide. Somehow I had the courage to dash out of my room. I remember running up the stairs to the living room, tripping on the way as I shouted for my parents. I was emotionally distraught, weeping and trembling and hyperventilating. My mother did what I think most moms would do, and tried to reassure her kid that it was just a dream and to go back to sleep. I insisted on the fact that there was a man in my room. My parents took me back to bed, turned on the light, and said a prayer, leaving a holy crucifix for me to put under my pillow. It's the only case that I can recall in this specific town, but it wasn't my last experience. They came back at times later in my life, from the age of 9 to 18, and at much higher frequency. Sherry writes, I endured extreme, paranormal, unusual activity from the late 1960s to late 1970s. On two different occasions, I saw two pairs of small, weird hands with dirty fingernails scrabbling back and forth beneath the kitchen door that separated the back door to the steps leading down to the family room and two bedrooms in the basement. The movements were very fast and aggressive. They were only visible from the forearms, below the elbows, to the hands. When I jerked the door open, amid screams and shrieks from my cousins and friends, nothing would be there. This was witnessed by two different groups of people about a year apart. It was not wild animals. There was no sign of scat or damage, and there was no way for wild animals to get in or out. Plus, we had a dog and a cat that would have reacted if wild animals had been invading our house. I've posted this event online many times hoping that someone else has seen or heard about this. Another time, a heavy old-fashioned fridge literally jumped up and down in the kitchen, while the fridge handle jiggled frantically. It was loud and frightening in the middle of the day and came out of nowhere. The kids were screaming, so I went to the door and with every ounce of courage I could muster, opened it up, and it stopped. I had to watch the handle and plan a grab because it was moving so fast. In the middle of the day, my little brother and his friend saw a large greenish orb streaked with black float from my older brother's basement bedroom to the empty bedroom next to it that was always so icy cold we couldn't use it. When my brother moved out, I moved into his bedroom. I would hear whispering and my name being called, usually at night but not always. My friends heard their names called, too. It didn't matter what time it was. Many nights I would see a dark mass near the bedroom closet. The ice-cold bedroom closet was on the other side of that closet. It would move up the wall, onto the ceiling, and expand as it did so. Then it dropped down over me. I would squeeze my eyes shut and pray until I fell asleep. I learned that if I ignored it and didn't look at it or think about it while it was still on the wall by my closet, it wouldn't expand and climb up and then down over me. All of the weirdness seemed to happen after my older brother and I heard three extremely loud organ notes in the middle of the night after coming home from our respective nights out. It was around 3 a.m. We had no piano or organ in our home. The TV, radios, and stereos were not on either. We heard the three notes three times in a row. 
The notes were deafeningly loud and rattled my eardrums, but didn't wake my parents or little brother. A lot of other stuff happened in that house, too. It was a horrible place to live in. I was always afraid and suffered from what I believed to be evil oppression for many years. Jackie writes, When I was a kid, we lived in a large Victorian home. My dad was a handyman and knew a lot about remodeling, so when this house came onto the market, it was a fixer-upper he couldn't pass up. The place had nine bedrooms and six bathrooms, only two of them functional at the time, and the kitchen needed a complete gut, but my dad was always a dreamer and could see promise in the property, so he put in an offer. It was accepted quickly, and it was the only offer that the agent received. It had been on the market for a couple of years, we assume because it was just too large or needed too much work. We didn't know anything about the history of the place or the previous owners, so these seemed reasonable conclusions. My parents both worked. My dad basically took any odd job he could find. He could do literally everything. And my mother was a teller at a bank. One day my father was in the attic pulling up some old floorboards that were rotten. The roof was leaky and there was water damage up there. He'd gotten through checking maybe half of the boards in the space and was in the middle of the room when he pulled up a rotting floorboard and found a doll. Of course, he decided that he should give the doll to his daughter, and at the end of the school day, he surprised me with it at the dinner table. I collected porcelain dolls and had a large collection that I had accumulated from friends and family over the years. Some were very old and were kept packed away, but the majority were lined off on a window bench in my bedroom. This doll was very different. It was a fawn with large green glass eyes. They almost looked like marbles and had small flecks of gold in them. The dress it wore was pale green lace and appeared to be handmade. In fact, even the face and hooves of the doll appeared crafted by hand. I'd never owned something so unique before, and I was pleased to add it to my collection. The doll earned a place on the window seat next to a couple of my favorites. It wasn't long after the fawn came into my possession that my mother took sick. She was diagnosed with cancer, and my father spent a lot of time driving her to various doctor's appointments. It also wasn't long after my mother's diagnosis that I began to hear strange noises in my bedroom at night. I was 12 at the time and was sometimes left alone in the house with my sleeping mother while my father worked to help pay for medical expenses. He took a job as a night watchman and was gone a lot. While I lay in my bed late at night, I would hear clicking sounds in my room. It would be faint at first, seemingly come closer to my bed, and then move away again. I wondered if maybe the large tree outside my window was tapping its branches on the glass, but it seemed that the trees were too far away to do that. One night when I was struggling to fall asleep after a particularly rough day, I heard the clicking sound again. This time it sounded like it was coming from the window bench. In the dull light I could just make out the faces of my dolls, but the fawn was missing. I sat up and I could hear the clicking sounds getting closer to my bed. When I looked down on the floor, I could see the outline of the fawn crumpled there. I got up and after briefly inspecting it for damage, there didn't appear to be any, 
carefully set it back in its place on the bench, and then got back in bed. I must have fallen asleep because I woke several hours later to a wait at the foot of my bed. When I sat up, I looked down to find the fawn laying there. At this point, I was freaked out. I picked up the doll and put it in the closet, closing the door. I went to get back in bed again, but then I heard the strange clicking sounds. This time, they were coming from inside the closet. As I listened carefully for a few moments, I realized that the clicking sounded like hooves on the hardwood floor. I ran from the room, tearing into my parents' bedroom and curling up next to my mother, who was sleeping heavily due to medication. I spent the rest of the night lying there with my eyes wide, afraid to go to sleep. Very early in the morning, shortly after the sun rose and my room was nice and bright, I went to my closet and opened the door. I searched for the fawn, but I didn't see it anywhere. When I turned to look at the window bench, I saw it sitting where I had placed it originally. I honestly didn't know if it was a dream or not, but I wasn't taking any chances. I found a shoebox and put the doll inside. Then I took it to the backyard and dug a hole in a flower bed, burying the box and the doll inside. Some nights I still heard the clicking noises, even though I knew I had buried that doll, and there was no way it could have made it back into my room. After that, all of my dolls were stored away, and I never looked at them or collected dolls again. I can't get the sound of the fawn's hooves out of my head, and it's been 20 years. Earl writes, My wife and I were displaced during Hurricane Katrina. We lost everything, and we decided to move to Kansas, where her family was living. They lived on a huge ranch, and there was plenty of room for us. In exchange for the room, I offered to work at the ranch with her brother and her father because the job I'd interviewed for before we moved had fallen through. I was confident I'd find something else, but in the meantime, it wouldn't kill me to feed a few pigs and clean out some horse stalls. The house and the land it was on had been in the family for several generations, and it was no secret that the place was haunted. My wife would tell me stories about her dad following a man around in the dark who was carrying an oil lamp, and whenever he'd follow the light to the burn, he'd lose it, look back and see the light in the upstairs window of the house. Her mother would lose things frequently. She'd set them down and never see them again. She actually went in to be evaluated because she thought she was losing her memory. One particular happening still gives me chills. I was in the barn one night cleaning out a horse stall when the lights went out. It was pitch black and I could barely see my hand in front of my face. The road my wife's parents lived on had no street lamps, so the only light was from the moon. I laid down the shovel I was using and made my way carefully out of the barn and back towards the house. The lights were out there too. As I walked the hundred or so feet to the house, I began to realize that I wasn't alone. There were people, they looked like people, standing in the fields just far enough away that you could only see their outline in the moonlight. There had to have been a hundred of them. They didn't move, they just stood there, and I could feel them watching me. I could also hear what I thought was whispering, but it didn't seem like the sound was outside of my own head. It felt like someone had dumped a bucket of ice water over me, I began to walk quicker towards the house because something told me that these people weren't there for any good reason. 
My fast walk turned into a jog, and I made it to the porch and into the house, closing and locking the door behind me. I found my wife in the kitchen, struggling to find matches for a candle she'd found. I grabbed her arm and pulled her to a nearby window to show her all the people. But in the short time it took me to go from the front door to the kitchen, they had all vanished. There's no way they could have disappeared that fast. My wife's father told me that he often feels like he's being watched or that he's not alone. It's just the ghosts, he says. The place is old, there's a lot of energy here. I don't think I'll ever get used to it. That's it for this week, dear listeners. Tune in next time for more tales of the creepy, weird, and paranormal. Until then, stay spooky. The Identity Podcast is brought to you by host Janine Mercer. The podcast is written and edited by Janine Mercer, unless otherwise stated, and the music is created using GarageBand. You can find The Odd Pod on Twitter, Insta, and TikTok at IdentityPod, and on Facebook as The Identity Podcast. If you haven't already, please make sure to mash that subscribe button so that you're in the know when a new episode drops, and be sure to tell a friend about this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. Please be aware, if you purchase an item from one of my sponsors using my promotional code, I will receive a small kickback. Every little bit helps.